chapter 12. Book of John, chapter 12. Be a moment there. We'll start with verse 20. John chapter 12 and verse 20. says, and there were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast. The same came, therefore, to Philip, which was of Bethsaida of Galilee, and desired him, saying, listen to their desire, Sirs, we would see Jesus. We would see Jesus. I'd like the Lord would like to talk to us a little bit today about seeing Jesus. I, um, some of you know, I, I wear glasses sometimes, usually just when I drive. Um, every once in a while I'll wear them here. I, I mean, like, I can see okay, like I can read that back there. If I put my glasses on, it's like super crisp and clear, but it's not blurry or anything. But anyway, I, I remember years ago when I first went and had my eyes checked, um, and I, I thought I could see pretty good. And then they put me on one of those machines. Those of you that have glasses know what I'm talking about. And then they start turning those dials. And I'm like, whoa, I can see even better. I thought I could see good. I can see even better. You know what I'm talking about? All of you with glasses, you're like, yeah. The, some of you, you don't know, but you may need glasses. Uh, don't put that off. It's an amazing thing, man. When they did, I'm like, wow. Wow. And maybe you were like me when you first got those glasses or contacts or whatever. You're like, anybody else do that? Right? You're like, wow. I can see better. You know what I'm talking about, right? And so I, I know Spiritually, it's like that. Spiritually, it's like that. I think there's times we think we can see. And we can. It's not that we're blind completely. Does that make sense? You know, when I went, and I, they didn't say, oh, you're blind. They were just like, your vision's not as clear as it could be. These men came and said, we would see Jesus. Now, I don't know what their motive was. It's not fully spelled out here. They may have just been, you know, they may have just been, well, they were Greeks, so they may have just been Greek paparazzi. I don't know, right? You know, that element of just seeing somebody that's famous has always been around. Some may have just wanted to see him because of what they heard. And, you know, Herod said, oh, I've been wanting to see him of a long time. He didn't get what he was hoping. You know, he hoped to see him perform some miracle or do something. His interest in seeing Jesus, his motive wasn't about the Lord Jesus Christ. It was about seeing some celebrity or seeing something done. 
Can I tell you today, I want to see Jesus. I want to see his kingdom. I don't mean like when I get to heaven. Yes, when I get to heaven. I, I, I want to see him now. I want to see his kingdom now. The scripture says in John 3, Jesus said to Nicodemus in John 3, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So that tells me I and you are meant to see the kingdom of God. Amen? In this life. In this life. So what has to happen is something has to happen to our eyes spiritually in order to see. When something happens to our eyes spiritually, that's called a change of perspective or a change of vision. And I feel the Lord is wanting to do this in this hour like never before. Because if we get a glimpse of him, a true glimpse of him and his kingdom, all of a sudden our priorities and our purpose for living begin to align fully with his. And so there's something he's drawing us to. I know it's not just me. He's drawing us to something. And I want to go. Amen? We're probably just going to talk a little bit this morning. Would you pray with me right now and ask the Lord to talk with us the way he wants to? Would you be willing to ask him to have free access to your heart and spirit and soul and mind? Jesus, I worship you today. I can do nothing without you. I can do nothing without you, but I desire you. I desire to know you as you desire to be known, to see you the way you want to be seen, to see your kingdom. I pray today by your word and your spirit an anointing upon the ears of each individual. Anoint our ears to hear the living word of God. Anoint our hearts to receive the living word of God. I pray by your spirit and by your word, deposit into our spirit the living word of God, whereby we are quickened and transformed. I pray an anointing upon these lips of clay. Let your word not be tainted in any way by my humanity. And I pray today this gathering under the authority of the name of Jesus. We thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name. Go with me to the book of Job. For those of you that were here at men's prayer yesterday morning, you're going to get a slight repeat of some stuff, but it's all right. You hear it twice. It'll get in your memory, maybe, in your spirit. Job's is quite the story, isn't it? All of us have heard it. The suffering of Job, the loss of Job, the life of Job. 42 chapters of Job. Job lost all of his children. Job lost all of his herds and flocks. Job lost. Job lost and Job lost and Job lost. You ever feel that way? Oh, man, I just keep losing stuff. And we read in the first and second chapter, we understand clearly it was the hand of God at work in Job's life. We might ought to go read that just so you know I'm not making that up. 
Job chapter 1, we get a picture of Job. We're not going to read the whole chapter. Verse 7, Job 1 and 7. This will give us the glimpse. And the Lord said to Satan, Whence comest thou? Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said to Satan, Notice the Lord brought this up. The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? wonder if the Lord ever talks to the adversary about you. Have you considered my servant, Martin? Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth? This is what God said about him. He's a man that is perfect and upright, one that fears God and eschews evil. Yeah. And Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for naught, or does he fear you for nothing? Have you not made a hedge about him and about his house and about all that he has on every side? You blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. You got this picture of Job. God said he's perfect and he's upright. He fears me and he eschews evil. He honors and reverences me and he hates evil. This is God's testimony about Job. And then Satan responds to the Lord and describes how he sees Job. He says, you've got a hedge around him and his house and everything he has. And you've blessed the work of his hands. And you've blessed his substance. It's increased. In the, he's got lots of stuff that you've blessed him with. Verse 11. Who's talking here? Satan. Who's he talking to? God. But put forth your hand now. Whose hand? God's hand. See, Satan knew I can't touch him. But put forth your hand now and touch all that he has and he'll curse you to your face. Fast forward to chapter 2. Satan comes again, the same thing. Verse 5. Said, yeah, but you wouldn't let me touch his body. So Satan again says, but put forth your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh. And he'll curse you to your face. Now here's, here's something that shows the power of Job's relationship with God. Remember we're talking about wanting to see him? Skip down to verse number 9. Now, Job's covered with boils. He's scraping himself with a potsherd. He sat among the ashes. Verse 9, his wife says to him, Do you still retain your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women speaketh. Notice he did not call his wife a fool. He just said, the way you're talking right now is the way foolish women speak. Job's wife gets a bad rap. She lost everything too. He had more children, if you read the rest of the story. 
And the scripture would lead us to believe that all those other children he had, he had with the same wife. She went through it together with him. Men, how you stand in adversity directly affects how your wife is able to stand in adversity. I'm trying to get somewhere, but we're sort of going slower than I thought. Watch. He speaks as one of the foolish women speaketh. What shall we receive? Watch Job. This tells you what Job recognized too. Shall we receive good at the hand of God? Oh, see, he didn't say the adversary's buffeting me. He knew this is the hand of God. Should we receive good at the hand of God and shall we not receive evil? He was content with what God chose in the journey for his life. Hear me. I want to see Jesus. I want to see the kingdom. And we have this idea sometimes that when I live for God, it means everything's going to be good and perfect. No more trouble, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more hurt. We rejoiced, rightfully so, and we're going to rejoice more because God, these different healings that were testified about Thursday night, there are people that are battling sickness right now that God hasn't healed yet. He's sovereign. He knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing. And his ways are above our ways and his thoughts are above our thoughts. And he works everything together for good. He has a purpose in my life and yours. And he's trying to take us. So we get this picture of Job and the hand of God working in Job's life. And Job suffering his loss and all that he deals with. And we can read all. Don't worry, we're not going to. But we can read the next 40 chapters that come after chapter 2. And we hear all about everything he's going through. And his ache and his hurt and his suffering, his pain, his complaint, his bitter. His cry to the Lord, I don't know where you are. I can't understand. Why are you moving your hand against me? What's going on? Why is this happening? And he's going through all of this. And then the last four chapters, 37, 38, 39, 40, right in there. The Lord begins to speak to Job and reveal himself to Job and his greatness. And all of a sudden, Job's perspective gets changed from his circumstance. We don't know how long Job lasted. The scripture doesn't tell us whether it was one week or one month or one year or five years. We don't know how long it lasted. I know that it lasted however long it needed to for God to accomplish in Job what he wanted to accomplish. That's why when you're going through something, the wisest thing to pray is not God get me out. I'm not talking about sin. That's why when you're going through things, the wisest thing to pray is, God, let your will and purpose be fulfilled in me and in those that this is touching. However you're going to use this, let your will be done in it, Lord. Let me learn from it, glean from it, mold me, shape me, fashion me, do what you got to do in me so that this fulfills your purpose. Does that make sense? And so Job goes through all of this. God speaks to him. In those last four chapters, three and a half chapters, and reveals his greatness by asking Job all these questions, which helps Job realize, oh my goodness, he's, he's greater than I can even fathom. He's greater than I can comprehend. And notice Job's response after all of God says to him in Job chapter 42, the last chapter of the book. Job answered the Lord and said, 
I know that you can do everything and that no thought can be withheld from you. Who is he that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore have I uttered things that I understood not, things too wonderful for me which I knew not. Here I beg you and I will speak. He's talking to the Lord. I will demand of you and declare you unto me. Notice verse 5. Please see verse 5. This is Job talking to the Lord. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear. But now. Everybody say, but now. But now what? But now, after all that you've brought me through. But now, after suffering and loss and pain, Job hasn't been restored yet. That comes after this in chapter 42. He doesn't know that anything's going to change yet. But now, I've heard of you. My ear, I've heard of your knowledge. I've heard about you. Job, did Job have a relationship with God? Remember what we read in chapter 1? God said he's perfect and upright. He fears me. He eschews evil. There's none like him. Satan said you blessed him on every side. You blessed his substance. Did Job have a relationship with God? Was Job blessed of God? Did Job walk with God? Yes, yes, yes. But there was a deeper place in God that he wanted to reveal to Job. There were some attributes and characteristics of God that Job had not went into. And God, because of his desire for relationship with Job, said, I want him to see me in a way he's never seen me. I'll reveal myself to him in a way I've never yet been revealed. But I've got to take him through some stuff. So that his confidence isn't in stuff. but in me. And Job declared at the end of all of that, before God blessed his house again, I've heard of you. I've heard of you by the hearing of the ear. But now, now, mine eye sees you. What happened? I'll tell you what happened. All of the other stuff of life got stripped away. All of the other stuff of life. Was there anything wrong with it? No, Job honored the Lord in all of it. But there was somewhere in God that Job had not yet seen. And the only way he could see it was to go through these things he went through. Some of you, because of your prayer and cry, Lord... I want to know you more. I want to draw closer to you still. I want all that you intend for my life. I want your suffering, your loss, your pain. Your uh, It's not punishment. Stop believing that lie. I'm not talking about sin. Sin has consequences. But the Lord allows these things not to hurt you. He's wanting you to see him. Wanting you to see him. I want to see him. I want to see him like I've not seen him before. You know, 
I, I found myself this morning in a place of prayer again, thinking my mind goes back to often because it's probably my favorite place in Scripture as far as elements of Scripture. My mind went back this morning to the tabernacle one more time. I found myself studying, reading again. I feel like there's things the Lord's wanting to show me that I haven't seen yet in that tabernacle. So much in it you read and... Exodus, and I was reading in Leviticus again. I know that's sort of boring for some of you, but I, I was reading about the priest's garments and his linen garments and the different ways and these different things. And I was trying to, Lord, what is what is it about this? Um, and, you, you know, the high priest, the high priest daily offered sacrifices. You understand that? Daily he would... And the priest, not necessarily always the high priest, but the priest would offer sacrifices daily, 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 daily. And the priest would go daily into the holy place, the altar of incense, the, the uh, candlestick and the table of showbread. The, the priest would go daily into those things. He would offer sacrifices and then he would go into the holy place and he, he would perform the service unto the Lord of offering incense, of lighting the candle. He would he would go through this every day, every day, every day, this offering. and. But only, only, only once a year, only once a year could the high priest actually go beyond the veil into the holiest of holies. It stayed in my spirit since Sister Priscilla talked to us a few weeks ago about this. And I had taught it in a Bible study as well. And it's just, uh, and all those others couldn't go where the high priest went. And, and so I began digging this morning going, I found myself asking this question, how? How did he get through the veil? How did he get through the veil that once a year? He, because as, as I understand it, he had he had to take the high priest had to take blood in a basin into the holiest of holies because he couldn't go without blood. And he and he had to take incense in. If you read, he he would enter in with those things and. And as I understand those things being holy and unto the Lord, he couldn't sit them down on the ground. He had to keep them. And I can't find where the veil was had an opening anywhere. And if you study Jewish stuff, it would tell you that because of all the layers that made that, that veil, it was anywhere from probably two to four inches thick. And probably about 40 plus feet top to bottom by the time you got to Christ's day and Herod made the temple taller so it was probably 60 feet high at that point. Sorry, it's more history than you may have wanted. but And I thought, how? Some say, I, I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. I don't know. The Bible simply says they entered through the veil. I don't know what that looked like. But Many believe that the Spirit of the Lord would translate them through the veil. That if they did everything according to the instruction of the Lord and the offering of sacrifice and worship and praise in the, at the altar and the labor and then the other instruments of furniture in the holy place, when they had fully offered and cleansed and purified themselves, then the Spirit of the Lord took them where they could not go themselves. 
and would translate them through that veil. Now, whether that's true or not, I don't know. But I can't find any way through the veil. It was a solid veil. I don't know if they took their foot and tried to lift it up and hold those things in their hands and get on. I don't know. What I know is the high priest went in there once a year into the presence of God. The glory of the Lord would come down after he would sprinkle blood on the mercy seat and after he would put incense there and it would create smoke there between the cherubims and the glory of the Lord would come down in between that place. And the high priest, the high priest would see the glory. He didn't see that every day. He would see God in a way he'd not see him every day. In this holiest of holies. He'd entered in. But to see God in that way, he had to be clean, consecrated, and holy unto the Lord. Here's what I felt like the Lord was dealing with me about today as I've been just turning in my heart since the Lord started talking to me early yesterday morning about seeing him. Sometimes, maybe oftentimes, our place of communion and fellowship with God in prayer, we are content to go to the altar and the labor. I'll go to the altar. I'll bring my sacrifice. You understand the altar is a place of repentance, sacrifice and repentance. And so I'll go there. I'll pour my heart out to the Lord. I'll offer sacrifices there of praise. I'll, I'll repent before the Lord. I'll be broken before the Lord. I'll, I'll, and, and then sometimes I'll, I'll go into the holy place. I'll, I'll go in and then it transitions from repentance. to now there's worship and there's joy. And I, I start getting light for situations. And I get fed. The table is show me. I get something. You know, that, that entrance into the holiest of holies, I don't know how often we make it an effort to. I want to get there where there's nothing else but Him and I. Where I see the glory of the Lord revealed in a manner I've never seen it revealed before. I, I would love to hear the story of a high priest coming out and describing what he saw. And you understand that Christ became the way for you and I to go there. He could only go once a year, but you and I, you and I, we have access. We can, we can go there every day of our life. You understand, you and I have the ability, the privilege, the honor, the access to enter into the holiest of holies where the glory of God manifests Himself every single day of our life. It's accessible. So why don't I go there every day? Why? I think there has to come a stripping away of things 
where nothing's more important or precious to me than to see him. To see his glory, to hear his voice, to walk in his spirit. He is the way. He's the way. Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. You know that verse. He's the way. There was only one way into the temple. There was only one way into the holiest of holies. The high priest had to go through the veil. We, of course, know this is when Christ was crucified on the cross. One of his last words or one of the last events that happened that we see recorded after that moment of his death when he said it is finished, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from top to bottom. From top to bottom. Well, if it was already open for them to walk through, why did it rent in two? It was rent in twain from top to bottom, thus signifying, Hebrews tells us, that until his death, the way into the holiest of all was not yet made. But now. But now, you and I, Hebrews 9, Hebrews 10, you can read those chapters. We've talked on it in the last few weeks. I just can't get off of it. There's somewhere the Lord is trying to take us. But now, by the body of Jesus Christ, by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, you and I can enter into the holiest of holies. Not a temple made with hands but the presence of the Almighty God where you and I can go before Him and have audience with God and we can see God in a way we've not seen Him before. Job saw the Lord. He'd heard about Him. He had relationship with Him. We read it. We talked. But there was something he saw. I hear these men standing there talking to Philip and saying, we would see Jesus. I don't know what they wanted to see, but there's something in that verse that speaks to my life that cries out that says, I want to see you. I'm 52 years old and I've, I've seen the works of your hand. I, I've seen things along the journey. I, I've been privileged to witness different elements of your glory being made manifest. I, I, there's something in my spirit that knows that your depths are unsearchable and there's elements that I have not yet walked in and seen. And I'm not content to settle where I am. I'm thankful for all that you've done and are doing. But there's a hunger in my soul in this hour when I see the need of the hour that I cannot accomplish in my doing, that the only way I feel is possible, and I know the only way is possible, if somehow I can see you. I can see you the way you want to be seen. I can see you the way you desire to reveal yourself. If I can see the elements and the attributes of your spirit that have not yet seen or walked in, sang the song when I was younger. Oh, that it would become my cry again. Take this whole world, but give me Jesus. Take this whole world, but give me Jesus. I want to see him. I'm not talking about in heaven. Yes, I want to see him in heaven. I want to see him manifest himself like I haven't yet seen in the earth. And I believe many of you do too. Book of Isaiah, chapter number six. 
chapter 6 and verse 1. Isaiah prophet of the Lord. Notice this verse. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord. Sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. If you look, Isaiah had a good relationship with Uzziah. He prayed for him. He wanted the Lord to spare. Uzziah ended up with leprosy because he tried to enter into the tabernacle and the temple where he wasn't supposed to go. He took a censer in his hand, and he wasn't clean and holy before the Lord. And he was smitten with leprosy. He was a great king. He was blessed of God. He had a great relationship with God. He just... And Isaiah prayed for him. Isaiah, Isaiah was a... He was a builder, man. He was a, he was a leader of men. He, he was a warrior. You can read and study about him in the Kings and the Chronicles. He, he built weapons. He built... He conquered lands. He was, he was a king and a leader. And, and Isaiah, Isaiah loved him. Isaiah cared about him. Isaiah had relationship with him. There's more to read, different time, different study. Dig into it. But notice this, in the year that my earthly king died, I saw the Lord. Now watch, watch what happened. I saw the Lord sitting on a throne. I have a question for you. Wasn't the Lord always sitting on a throne? Isn't he always on the throne? I believe so. Isaiah just hadn't seen him that way before. Something had to die for him to see the Lord the way the Lord wanted him to see him. The Lord will allow things to come into your life that will not be comfortable or pleasant or of your choosing even necessarily, not to hurt you. He's just trying to reveal himself to you in a manner you have not yet seen him before. Why does it take this process? Because we're human and we can so easily get our focus on earthly things. And so he has to understand how valueless earthly things are. So that we will fix our eyes on heavenly things. Your priorities change when a loved one's suffering. Your priorities change and so the Lord who knows our frame he knows we're but dust Psalm 103 and 14 
He knows that about us. And so in his love for us and his response to our prayer to know him more and to walk deeper with him and his desire to use us for his glory, he says, I will allow these things to come into your life because they will make you what I intend you to be and they position you for me to use you the way I want to. Watch, we'll finish reading here. Isaiah 6 and 1. The year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne high and lifted up. His train filled the temple. Verse 2. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he did fly. Verse 3. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. What of you? What of you? This is what Isaiah saw when his earthly king died. This is what he heard when his earthly king died. When his eyes shifted from earthly things and got fixed on heavenly things, he saw and he heard things he had not seen and heard before. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Verse 5. Then said I, this is... This is Isaiah's response to what he saw and heard. And it's interesting to me, it's the same as Job's response. When Job said, I have heard, but now my eye has seen. And you look at the next verse there in Job 42, and Job said, I did abhor my flesh, and I repent. It's the same element that happens when Isaiah got a glimpse of God and saw the glory of God in a manner he'd never seen before. He said, then I said, woe is me, for I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King. In the year that King Uzziah died. Mine eyes have seen the King. The Lord of You know, Lord of Hosts shows up a lot. I'm doing a study on that right now, too. You may get maybe something coming on that. I don't know. We'll see. It may just be the Lord talking to me. It's in the Bible a lot. You know what Lord of Hosts literally means and translates? Lord of Armies. You know, I feel the, would you pray with me right now? When the Lord's trying to take, I know we're just sort of plodding along here, but I trust you're hearing the word. Jesus, we need you. We need you. We want you to reveal yourself to us the way you want to, Lord. We trust in you. We trust in your word. We submit to you. I want to see you. Reveal yourself according to your will. Mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies. There are many battles taking place in the earth spiritually. There are many battles taking place. And the adversary would think that he's gaining ground, that he's going to win. He will not win. He will not win. There is the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies. He is our king.
There are battles to fight. But we're not fighting them alone. Isaiah saw the king, the Lord of hosts. Verse 6. Then flew one of the seraphims to me, having a live coal in his hand, which he'd taken with the tongs from off the altar. Verse 7. And he laid it upon my mouth. And he said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity, self-will, is taken away, and thy sin purged. Also, now watch, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then said I, here am I. Send me. I'm not too busy. Here am I. Send me. You see, when we see him, when we allow him to use the circumstances of life for his purpose to bring us to the place where we can declare with Job, and I, my ears have heard of him, but now my eye has seen him. When we can, like Isaiah, declare, mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts, then our response changes and says, I now understand what he sees too. I understand what matters most to him. And I hear the voice of the Lord in a manner I haven't heard before. Was the Lord looking for someone to send? Is he looking for someone to send now? Does he need someone to send into Grandview and Granger and Prosser and Sunnyside? Here am I. Send me. Here am I. Send me. The Lord's wanting to reveal himself to us in a great measure. Would you stand with me today? You know, I've uh, I've been privileged in my life to travel some in ministry. <clears throat> Those are my favorite trips. And by God's grace, in those times of travel, I I, I know that He has used us along the journey. And, you know, sometimes there's this idea of traveling to foreign lands, you know, in ministry. Uh, the anointing's wonderful when the Lord anoints you. It's no more wonderful than being right here with you. I, this is my favorite place to be. I mean that with all of my heart. Because I know you, and you know me, and you love me anyway. <laughs> but... Many of you know I've got to minister several times in Italy. 
I've been to the Philippines, um, different places in the U.S., of course, and I've been asked recently to consider a trip to Guatemala in a few months and to consider a trip to Ireland, and I don't know about all that. We'll have to see what the Holy Ghost says. But sometimes there's this idea that there's something more, I don't even know what the word is, special that we, in our mind, like, man, if I go there, right? If I go there, you know what? I like, I like going to Mattawa. feel like I'm in Mexico. <laughs> like spiritually, I, not just the people. I, I mean, like spiritually, there's something I feel so connected. Some of you heard me talk about. I feel so connected. There's got to come something in us. There's got to come something. This is what I believe the Lord's trying to do. He's trying to get us to where he got Isaiah. Here am I. Send me. Here am I, send me. You don't have to send me. When I was a kid, there was a song, please don't send me to Africa. I don't think I've got what it takes. I don't like something, 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 and lions or tigers or snakes. I don't know. That's something how the song went. I know it's sort of glamorous to think about. But you know what? I got a message from Sister Sandra. She's teaching a Bible study to a lady in Grandview, Prosser, Grandview. I thought, God, just send us to Grandview. Just send us there. Alex sent me a message. She had a door open in Quincy with a family. I'm like, God, just send us to Quincy. Just send us to, send us to Moxie's. There's 280,000 people right here, Lord. Just send us. You want God to use you? You want God to use you? There's got to come something in us from this word. This is, Lord, I trust your process. However you do it. But I want to see you. I want to see you. I want to see your, because when you see him and when I see him, we'll never be this. And we can enter into the holy place where the glory of the Lord will come and manifest itself. And we can go there every single day of our lives. If we'll get clean hands and a pure heart, consecrate ourselves to him, he'll take us there. And every day you can walk in the power of his spirit. Every day. Would you talk to the Lord right now? I'm opening this altar to you. I've sought to bear my heart to you today the way the, the Lord is just dealing with me and talking with me. Come on, now's the hour. Now's the time. Now's the time. I know, you, I know we have jobs that we work at. I know we have families to care for. I know we have the cares of life. Those are part of it, but we've got to see Jesus so that our priority is in full alignment with him.